nobody wants a dysfunctional church. To many, the defection and decline of churches that we are experiencing in our world today feels new. But the problems were foreseen and the prescriptions were laid out in the New Testament long before any of our uh, modern issues began. Uh, this series uh, is looking at what uh, Paul's advice to Timothy on how to steer the church through difficult waters. Uh, this morning's message looks at uh, just what we lose when the gospel takes a back seat. When we fail to make the gospel central and uh, not only in our own lives, but in the life of our church. Now, it's a challenge to preach on Super Bowl Sunday any year. Uh, this is a particularly difficult year because people can't even co concentrate on Super Bowl Sunday. They can't concentrate on the game. Uh, you know what the real focus of Super Bowl Sunday this year is, right? Of course, it's Taylor Swift. Uh, as soon as the Chiefs announced, uh, were, were uh, confirmed for the playoffs, people were madly looking up her concert schedule. She's going to be, be able to make it back from her Saturday night concert in Tokyo. Is there enough time for that? Uh, this was such a, uh, a phenomenon that the uh, representative from the Japanese embassy in Washington actually had to weigh in on this and said, yes, this is completely doable. Shouldn't be a problem for her to be back in time. Uh, they say that ratings of this year's Super Bowl are expected to be impacted and to be up just for the very fact that she might attend and, uh, and has even influenced some of the advertising choices at this year's uh, Super Bowl because of the anticipated audience. Uh, as one of those examples, it's likely that Dove uh, chose to uh, uh, advertise for the first time in 18 years at uh, this year's Super Bowl. Uh, they have a 30-second 30, 30 spot that you can see where it shows a number of, uh, uh, of girls playing various kinds of sports and some of the challenges that they face, some of the difficulties of uh, girls' sports. And then it ends with, with this line. It says, 45% of girls quit sports by age 14. The knocks don't stop girls from playing sports. Low body confidence does. And this is a theme that uh, Taylor Swift has addressed herself. She talks about uh, some of the, the challenges of dealing with uh, low self-esteem, dealing with insecurities in life. And she says it's something that she feels all performers feel. She said, we're, pe we're the people who got into this line of work because we wanted people to like us, because we were intrinsically insecure, because we liked the sound of people clapping, because it made us forget how much we feel like we're not good enough. I read a survey this week that said that 80% of millennials said that they feel that they're not good, good enough professionally, not good enough uh, socially, and not good enough physically. And they report it's affecting how they, how they sleep. It's affecting their mental health. It's affecting uh, just who they are and how they feel about themselves. But I think we would say, you don't have to be a millennial to be struggling with any of those things. Those are our realities. Those fears and insecurities are things that, that many of us feel at different times in our lives. This particular passage that we're looking at today, uh, first of all, the letter in general is written by 
by Paul, a, 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 an apostle, someone that, that was looked up to with, with esteem and, and a sense of respect. But it was written to a young man who was battling some insecurities. Uh, someone who struggled with uh, fears about, uh, you know, am, am, I, am I up for this task? Uh, do I have what it takes to do what I feel God has called me to do? And so if you have ever experienced any of those kinds of fears or insecurities, uh, today's passage and the letter in general uh, gives us a, a, a picture of how God would seek to address that and specifically address it through the gospel. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. Uh, on the black, in the Black Church Bibles, in the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 932. And if you have that out in front of you, uh, we'll just be walking through uh, that verse by verse this morning, and I'm going to begin by reading it. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me, in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is the word of God. Now, this passage contains three truths that help transform you, particularly if you're someone dealing with insecurity, feeling the weight of a, a sense of an assignment that feels too big and too overwhelming. The first is this. With the gospel in the back seat, you don't have the confidence to drive. If you dismiss or ignore what God has done for you in Christ, it begins to tear down the basis for your, your confidence, your, your uh, sense of hopefulness of what uh, God might uh, be able to do and particularly what he can do through you. With the gospel in the back seat, you lose the confidence to drive. Now, we saw last time that uh, Timothy had, had been given a task. He had been given a charge to deal with some people who were stirring up some false ideas confusing the church, uh, causing uh, a, a lot of uh, confusion in what people believed and getting them off track and off, uh, off message, off book. Uh, he, but in order to understand how Paul is addressing him and some of the things that uh, are going on here, we need to hear a little bit about who Timothy is and, uh, and what might be going on in his life. Uh, Timothy was the one that Paul told in 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth. It's, 
that's not the kind of thing that you say to someone who feels full of confidence and uh, full of reassurance. He was, he was uh, likely someone who was easily dismissed, someone that people could overlook because he just didn't, didn't stand out, didn't, didn't look like he was a, a natural-born leader. Paul also needed to tell him in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Again, you don't say, to, say that to someone who doesn't struggle with a, a sense of fear or anxiety or a, a sense of insecurity about who they are and what they can do. Seems that Timothy could get easily overwhelmed. Uh, we're also told in 1 Timothy 5.23, he had uh, stomach problems, frequent ailments. And while we're not told why, it, it's at least possible that they are at least in part connected to uh, the stress that he lived with, the sense of, uh, of a task that just often felt too overwhelming, too much uh, for, for him to deal with. Regardless, the picture that emerges is of a young, young adult feeling the weight of their task, the weight of their assignment, the burden of the challenges before him, and he's struggling to face all of that. And so you wonder, what kind of information, what kind of advice would someone like Paul give to him? Is he going to give him a pep talk and say, you'll, you'll be able to get through this? Will he give him some tips on how to deal with stress? Uh, maybe some deep breathing techniques, some, some, some ways that he can uh, deal with the challenges when they come. Uh, will, will he tell him to believe in himself or, or maybe to be more like Paul? What, what, what would you say to someone who is facing those kinds of challenges, those kinds of pressures? Well, notice how Paul starts in verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus. To Timothy, Paul must have seen like someone who could do anything. He must have seemed, seemed like he was invincible. And Paul says, I need you to know something about me, Timothy. I need you to know that I am relying on the strength that I, I receive from Jesus Christ. I, 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 don't, I don't have this in myself. I'm not just naturally strong, able to deal with the beatings and the imprisonments and uh, the stonings when they come. I, I, don't, I don't just, I wasn't like born with that. I have been given strength by Jesus and I receive that strength as I look to him, when I lean on him and when I seek to receive from him. Can't do it on my own. Then in verse 14, he says, the grace of, the, of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Now, when he says, the grace overflowed for me, he's, he's talking with that word of, of God doing something in my life I didn't deserve. He's giving me something that I didn't naturally possess and I didn't earn as a reward. This, this, is, this is the goodness of our God. He, he does that for his people. Paul's saying, it's not as if I was born holy. It's not as if I just am naturally a loving person. Forgiveness isn't, isn't just naturally easy for me. But God has grown my faith. He's nurtured my love. He, he has developed in me a confidence in him. As I look to him, 
he builds these qualities in me. And, and he's trying to, to, to give Timothy a, a sense of hopefulness that you don't have to worry that you don't have it in you naturally, that this can come to you through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and frankly, I don't think I'm ever going to have the opportunity, and that's okay, but that's what I, this is what I would tell Taylor Swift. That there is a God who is there, a God you can look to when you are feeling the weight of your not enoughness. When, when you feel the insecurities of, I don't think that I'm up for the task. I don't think that I've got what it takes. That there is a God who is able, who in his grace fills us with his faith, fills us with love, fills us with the, the power and strength to do what he calls us to do. And there's an incredible assurance in that, that there's a confidence that comes from that. Life feels too big and overwhelming precisely because the role that we give God in our lives is too small. And so the invitation to Timothy and to all of us is to give God a bigger space, a bigger place, more prominence in your life that, that he might become big, and therefore, the problems in our lives become small. But it's almost as if Paul anticipates our objections. Because I think we're all feeling something when we hear that, right? We want to say, well, that's good for you, Paul, but like you're a super religious guy. You're, you're, you're a super faithful. You know the Bible so much better than I do. Like this, this just doesn't, this doesn't, work for me, surely. If, if you knew my thoughts, you'd write me off. I'm not a very good person. I'm not religious enough for any of this. Hear how Paul describes himself in verse 13. He says, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. He wasn't just mocking Jesus or resisting him or rejecting him. He was the guy who was hunting down those who were followers of Jesus Christ. And he, he was a violent man. He was an angry man. He was filled with a zeal, but it wasn't based on knowledge. He's saying, I'm not a good person. I, I don't deserve any of this. But keep reading to the end of the verse. He says, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. That doesn't mean I didn't know what I was doing, so God didn't hold it against me. He's, no, he's saying I was ignorant. I was an ignorant person. I was an unbelieving person. I refused to accept Jesus Christ. And so I should have received judgment. Instead, I received mercy. He wants to point to, to the incredible grace that there is in Christ. It's the same sense in verse 12 when he says, he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. The whole point of what Paul is saying here is, I'm not faithful. I wasn't faithful. I, there's no way I should have received any of this, but he judged me faithful. He considered me faithful. He treated me as if I was faithful for Christ's sake. Because I put my trust in Jesus, I received the righteousness of Christ, and so God 
counted me faithful and therefore qualified me for the task that he's given me. God gave Paul an assignment he was completely, he had completely disqualified himself from. And yet, he, God qualified Paul to, to take on this task. He, he took someone who was disqualified and made him qualified, made him able to take on this task because of what, what Jesus Christ had done in his life. And the reason Paul is saying these things is he wants Timothy to apply them to his own pressures. Because Timothy was thinking, I don't think I can do it. And Paul was saying, it's Jesus who gives us the strength that we need. Timothy was thinking, I, I don't feel qualified. And Paul was saying, Jesus is the one who makes you qualified. He is the one that, that, that makes the difference. It is not what we are born with. It is not what we feel that we possess. It is what, what God calls and what God does in our lives. Timothy was thinking, I don't think I'm good enough. Paul was saying, Jesus is the one who gives us the faith. He gives us the love. He's the one who gives us what we need to do what he has called us to do. And so it comes with a recognition. All of this hinges on him. I need to look to him. Not keep looking in on myself at what I don't have, what I don't feel, what just doesn't seem to, to be a part of me. I look to Christ and what he would seek to accomplish in, in my life and what he would call me to do. If you believe these things, do you not think it would change the way that you saw some of your weaknesses and inabilities? Wouldn't, wouldn't it fill you with a sense of confidence in, in, in Jesus and a, a sense of courage to do the things that God wants you to do in your life? It, it, it helps you to see the possibilities because those possibilities rest on Christ. They don't rest on your past. They don't rest on what you were born with. They rest on him. And they come as we seek him, as we pursue him in a life of faith. Now, as good as this sounds, I believe that God knew that you would try to disqualify yourself. That God knew that you would say, yeah, that all sounds good, but I don't think it, I think there must kind of be an exception clause because I think that I'm, I, I'm not the person that's being described here. I don't, I don't think somehow this would apply to me. And so God acted in history to deal with the sense of unworthiness that we often feel. He did something that so no one would ever be able to say, this isn't for me. I think it's, I think this is just for, you know, the A team and I'm, I'm on the B team. Consider what God did when he knew you would try to disqualify yourself. In verse 15, Paul uses a phrase he uses when he wants people to slow down and process something. He says, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now he's saying that because there's a, there was a lot of false information that didn't, wasn't worthy of people trusting in. 
Fake news isn't new to our generation either. There, there have always been false ideas floating around with the truth. And the problem with enough false ideas in our world is we can become cynical, right? We can, we can become cynical and stop listening to anything. We, we don't fully trust anything because uh, we feel that sense of cynicism towards the things that we hear. And Timothy was feeling that because there was a lot of false teaching floating around in his day, in his church, in uh, the circles that he was circulating in. And Paul says, that may be true. I want you to stop and listen. This is important. This is true. This is something that you can wait, put the weight of your confidence in, lean into this. So we want to see what is... What is Paul saying to lean into? He says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Important statement. Let's break it down. First of all, you notice that he says Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. It, it, it just jars us a little bit. There's some variety. He can, he can switch back and forth freely. Uh, that's because, uh, you know, we, we have a tendency to think of Christ as Jesus' last name. It's not that. Uh, it is a, a term that just means anointed one. And it is pointing to uh, the, the, this title that was given to a long-promised Savior King. Throughout the Old Testament, as soon as David came to the throne, there was a promise of another, a promise of another who would be like David, who would rise to the throne and he would come to rescue his people, to save his people. And there was that anticipation. Jesus is the Christ. He is uh, that anointed King. Now, it says this Savior named Jesus came into this world. And nobody's ever asked me, Paul, when did you come into this world? That's not the kind of way that you refer to uh, people uh, usually. Uh, People say you're born, but if you say you came into this world, you only say that about people who are of another world. So uh, just saying that this Jesus, who is the Christ, the anointed one, that promised king, he came into this world, uh, assumes and communicates the fact that he is of another world. He is entering into our world. And you would think, boy, if, if, if God is coming into this world, surely it's to judge all the sinners, to deal with all of the injustice, to finally give them, uh, the, uh, give them what they deserve. But it doesn't say that here. That day will come, but when Jesus came into this world, it wasn't, according to this passage, initially to bring judgment. It was to save sinners. That's another word that people don't use much anymore, right? Sinners? Uh, We will instead talk about bad people. And when we talk about bad people, it, it helps us to see the wrong that we do in abstract terms. And I think, that's, I think that's a little easier for, to, for us to cope with. If we don't talk about bad people, we'll talk about criminals. And that helps us to see the wrong that we do in relation to our government's laws. And I think that's easier for us to deal with as well. 
But sinner, unlike just bad person or criminal, it helps us to see the bad things that we do, the wrong things that we do in relationship to God's laws and uh, to see them as an offense to a holy God. That, that's harder for us to deal with. It's more of a struggle in our world today because we, we like to see the things that we do without having to think about God very much. To think about, you know, that there might be a personal creator that we have offended by rejecting him, by resisting him, by sinning against him. But that's what the word means. Now, here it says that he came to uh, uh, Jesus and coming into this world, recognized the sinners, people who had offended a holy God, broken God's laws. What does Jesus come to do to them? He comes to save them. Uh, Again, that word save, it implies that there is uh, there, there's something that they need saving from. That sinners are already standing under God's judgment, already feeling the, the, the foretaste of the consequences of their sins, and they need rescuing from them. That's what Jesus came into this world to do. He came into this world on a rescue mission. He died on a cross took the punishment of us, of us as sinners, on himself, and he did that so that we could be rescued, so that we could be saved from the consequences and the penalties of our sin. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear that gospel truth. Paul said, this is trustworthy. This is worthy of you putting your confidence, your hope, your belief, and your convictions in. That's what we rest in. But Paul is just still leading up to the point that he's trying to make for Timothy here. He's he's, he's, uh, laying this down because he he needs him to to recognize something. He's saying, Jesus came to rescue people who had broken God's laws, and then he calls himself the worst offender, the foremost of these sinners. If you're going to talk about people who break God's laws, who bring offense to him, I was the worst. That's that's Paul's message. And he he wants Timothy to see why that is the case. Doesn't it seem strange to you that the person who had sinned most grievously against God, the person who, who had so disqualified himself from any ministry from anything to do with God, that that person would not only be, be singled out by God, to, uh, that God rescued him, that Jesus brought him to himself, but that he would go on to become one of the most prominent leaders in the early church and would actually be responsible for writing uh, a large portion of the New Testament. Doesn't that seem strange? Could they not find someone like more qualified? Were they stuck with the chief of sinners? Like, were, were there, was there no one that kind of had a better track record going into this? And all of that seems a little odd. But according to Paul, none of that was a coincidence. Verse 16 says, I received mercy for this reason, 
that in me, as the foremost, as the worst offender, the chief of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. It's saying that God saved and then elevated Paul for a very particular reason, to to show to the world once and forever his perfect patience, his incredible grace, the depth of his forgiveness. Because every time someone would would begin to read the the New Testament, for instance, they they would read, oh, Paul to my my son Timothy. Oh, who's Paul? Where? I wonder how, where he came from, what, what his story was. And they would go and they'd find in the book of Acts that, that oh, he was, he was the one who, who, was, who was there presiding over the, the killing of the first Christian. He, he was the one who was hunting down believers, uh, chasing uh, non-Christians across the, the Roman world to, to imprison them. God could forgive him. God could use something of his life? Why? God can use anyone, I guess. I guess there's hope for all of us. They'd see that Paul was the last person God should forgive. The last person who should have received God's mercy, who should have received his his strength. He was the last person who should have been deemed faithful and shown mercy. But if God could do that with Paul, God can do that with anyone. He was showing once and for all, no one can be excluded. Nobody can write themselves off. No one can say, I I just don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I count. It was a way of underlining God's patience, grace, and forgiveness. And maybe you say, yeah, I know that. But compare that with me, if you will, with this is Jesus' gospel with Taylor's version. Taylor Swift felt her inadequacy. She felt that she wasn't good enough. And instead of looking to Jesus for the solution for that sense of inadequacy, she said, I know what I'll do. I've got a little bit of talent. I will pour myself into my talents. I will give myself with, with dedication and, and with, with everything I've got, I will make the sacrifices to be the best performer I can be. And I will do that in the hopes that if I can be as good as I can be, then maybe I can get enough people to applaud me that I forget this sense of inadequacy, unworthiness, not good enoughness. Maybe I can forget that. Maybe I can push that out of my mind for a long enough period that I feel peace inside, that I feel good inside. Many people buy into her gospel. They give themselves to their careers, their success, their, their, their studies. They give themselves to their bodies and their popularity. But the problem is Taylor's version, Taylor's gospel is a pyramid scheme. Because there's only a few people who get enough, uh, achieve enough success, enough 
uh, of their chosen pursuit that they get to the top that they can get enough applause. The rest of us, if you sign up for that pyramid scheme, you, 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 you just are striving to get there and you don't, you don't experience it. And the problem is that, that even for those who achieve a measure of acclaim and success, it only lasts for a short amount of time. It doesn't, it doesn't continue. Just ask Madonna. Even if you achieve, achieve Taylor Swift level stardom and the applause comes, it doesn't last forever. And that applause can only hide the problem. It can't ultimately fix the problem. For that, we need God. And so the applause and the seeking after the applause just gets in the way. It, it, it stands in the way of uh, what we are, are called to receive in him. Jesus' gospel is about acceptance and forgiveness for even the worst of offenders. It's about a God who qualifies the unqualified, who gives strength and faith and love to people who don't have it. Don't have enough of it. It's about a God who even after we begin to seek him and we see even more of our own sins and inadequacies, we realize how the depths of his patience, the depths of his grace. And we realize that, that there is in him true treasure, true gold, true silver. That's what we need. That is the hope that there is in him. Paul is writing this stuff in a letter and he's kind of, he's probably had kind of his thesis and things that he wanted to write down. At, at verse 17, he just kind of puts the pen down and like, uh, he, he just breaks out into praise. He's like, I can't think about this without, without praising the Lord. And, and that's what you have in verse 17. It's just a spontaneous prayer to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I, I can't get over this. God is so good. God is so gracious. God is so forgiving. Like, how can we not praise him? And so we are invited to do so. So don't disqualify yourself. Don't, don't chase after something that ultimately won't deal with the problems that we all feel. The true God is too good for us to disqualify ourselves from. It's too patient, too forgiving, too gracious. Don't trade Jesus' gospel for Taylor's version. Jesus is the only one who can deal with this, this problem of sin, which is the basis of all of our fears and insecurities. Trust in him. And if you have trusted in him, and the passage is telling us to do more than that. Do more than just trust in him. Because Paul isn't explaining the gospel to Timothy because he hadn't heard it. And I'm not preaching it to you because you haven't heard it. Maybe some of you haven't heard it, but most of you have heard it. He's explaining the gospel with a point, And that's the passage is called to action. It's just this. Arm yourself with the gospel and get in the battle. 
These gospel truths are intended to give you the courage to live them out when you feel like you don't have what it takes to do so. Arm yourself with the gospel and get in the battle. In, in verses 18 and 19, Paul revisits the charge that he began. We saw this last week in verse 3. It was built on again in verse 5. Here it is in verses 18 and 19. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. We saw this last time. People were opposing the gospel. They were standing against the gospel. They were spreading opposite ideas. They were confusing people with wrong ideas. And, and Timothy could see this. He just didn't think he had what it took to do it, to get in there and, and to stand up for Christ. And maybe you're finding that in your own home or in your own relationships, in, in the people that you know and the people that you interact with. And Paul's saying, if you understand what we have been given in Christ, then you get in the game. You can stand in the fight. You can hold up the truths of the gospel and you can do so with confidence and courage because God is the one who gives us that strength that we need. But in a, a sense, uh, that's not the only sense, the, the only way that we relate to Timothy's battle uh, because uh, look at the phrase that, he, that opens verse 19. It says, holding faith and good conscience. You need to be reminded of the gospel when your faith is threatened. When everyone around you is living Taylor's gospel and it's hard to hold on to what the scripture says is trustworthy and true. When everyone around you is chasing a different gospel, is living for a different hope and a different promise, it's hard to hold on to these truths and yet they are held out to us that we would do so. You need to remember who God is and what your relationship is based on. So when you start thinking that you're not worthy enough, you're not qualified enough, you're not knowledgeable enough to do what God asks you to do, what God has called you to, remember the grace that God showed him. Remember the patience that Jesus displayed. Remember that he's the one who supplies the faith, the, the confidence, the, the, the love, the, the power that we need. Remember, he's the one that qualifies you. And if you're going to live with a good conscience, as verse 19 says, it's going to be a battle, right? Let's face it, that living with a good conscience, a pure conscience, living in obedience to our conscience uh, requires a face-off face and a, a showdown with temptation in our lives. You need the help that the gospel provides. Only the gospel helps you to put the sins that you have repented behind you. To take the, the guilt and place it behind you because it has been placed on Christ at the cross. Only the gospel reminds you that God is on your side. That he is not your, your judge in times of temptation. He is your ally he is the one you can look to and trust in in those times of 
of struggle. Only the gospel tells you that you're a new creation in Christ. So you have new resources. You have new relationships. You have a, a, new, a new strength within you by the Holy Spirit. You can walk in a new direction. Only the gospel does that. And the gospel message is so, temp- is so positive here that I'd be tempted to just close. And just say, yeah, do the right thing. Believe, believe and look at what, what God can do in your life. But the passage doesn't let us do that. We would be remiss in not mentioning in verses 19 and 20, there, there are two people that, that Paul singles out who had made shipwreck of their faith. They had refused to make the gospel central in their lives. They had refused to cling to these truths and instead found themselves leaning on another foundation that that ultimately wouldn't support them. The fact is, some people never put both oars down in the water. And so when the storms come, when 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 the waves begin to hit, they, they find themselves capsizing. They just didn't ever fully respond to what God had done for them in Christ. They repent a little, believe a little, but they're never all in. And so when the storms come, they go overboard. And the warning is to all of us, don't do that. This gospel is so good. that we, we ignore it at our, at our peril. Don't put the gospel in the back seat. Put Jesus front and center, and when you do, you find the confidence to move forward and to enter into all that we've been called to. Let's look to him now in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, We thank you for your incredible grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you are the God who qualifies the unqualified. That you give strength to weak people who look to you in faith. Thank you that you are the one who saw us in our sin, saw us having turned our backs on you and you came to us in mercy. You looked to us and you offered us forgiveness. You offered us grace in Jesus Christ. Father, rivet our attention on him. May we revel in the grace that you give. Help us to cling to the truth of the gospel and follow the voice of our conscience. And Father, if there's anyone who feels God prodding them to respond, to respond to the God who came to rescue sinners, draw them to yourself today. For we ask you in Jesus' name.